The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Becky Strum, Managing Editor at Mansion Global, and joining me today are Janet Horlacher, broker owner of Janet McAfee Real Estate, and Danielle Hale, Chief Economist at Realtor.com. Welcome, Janet and Danielle. Thank you. Thanks, Great Becky. to be here. Uh, a reminder to our audience to ask questions at any point, and we'll get to as many as possible toward the second half of, uh, of our conversation. So last week, we launched the latest installment of the Wall Street Journal Realtor.com Emerging Housing Markets Index. It's a quarterly ranking of the country's major housing markets. Uh, Mansion Global publishes the luxury cut of that index, which ranks 60 of the country's priciest housing markets. And interestingly, St. Louis rose to number one, surpassing affluent tech hubs, the mountain towns that were booming and obvious centers of affluence like Los Angeles or New York. So Janet, give us your elevator pitch for St. Louis. Oh, thanks, Becky. We were so delighted to learn that St. Louis ranked number one. Um, And I, you know, I was born in St. Louis um, and have spent most of my life here. So I think if you ask someone, you know, me or all, you know, St. Louisans alike, you know, what sets St. Louis apart? And you would find people say that it has, uh, St. Louis has all the ease and friendliness of a mid-sized Midwestern town, but with the cultural heritage of some of the largest cities in the world. Right. And I, you can cut me off if I go. No, no, keep going. I think, you know, it's such an unusual combination. So um, obviously the midsize, uh, you know, friendly, easy to get around uh, city, but why do we have these amazing cultural institutions? And I think if you remember, you know, at the turn of the century, St. Louis was the fourth largest city in the country. So these, uh, you know, we have these treasures, our St. Louis Art Museum, um, you know, which was erected for the 1904 World's Fair and, and sits atop this beautiful hill overlooking a Grand Basin in this limestone Beaux-Arts building. And it is one of the top art museums in the world and our Botanical Garden, 1859. So we've had hundred over a hundred years cultivating these uh, institutions. So the cultural composition of the city is so rich. And I don't think you find that um, typically in you know a mid-sized uh, Midwestern town. Um, a quick follow-up to that. I, does that spill over to the architecture of the homes at all? It does. In fact, um, it's such a, we have such a diverse housing stock. So we'll find these um, mansions designed by some of the renowned architects around the turn of the century that were built for the 1904 World's Fair. And we also had the Olympics 
Um, and uh, they're just, they're, you know, gorgeous. The colonials and uh, the Italian uh, Renaissance, um, Victorian. So these enormous mansions overlooking, you know, beautiful tree-lined boulevard, 100-year-old oak trees. Yeah. And then in other areas of the city, we have, you know, new townhouses. Um, there's a, areas of, of St. Louis, which has uh, vic framed Victorian houses. Mm -hmm. But you will find a lot of colonial brick homes in St. Louis, traditional you know, center floor plan colonial brick homes because uh, we're in probably one of the brick capitals of the world. <laughs> um, so St. Louis was certainly different from markets that have topped the luxury rankings in the past. It's mostly been very expensive. Rocky Mountain towns, because we launched the index, you know, it's sort of in the middle of the pandemic. So we got a lot of that movement to to the Mountain West. Um, and then, of course, the West Coast cities uh, along the coast, which were booming. Uh, during the pandemic. So Danielle, was St. Louis a surprise to you? Does it mirror sort of trends in the overall market? I think it absolutely does mirror trends in the overall market, which is that as things have gotten expensive, you know, home prices are relatively high. They are still relatively high in most of the country. And mortgage rates are also relatively high. So it's expensive to buy a house right now. And so people are really looking for getting more for their dollar. And in St. Louis, You've got some really great affordability, especially relative to the amenities that you get, as Janet was elaborating on. And so I think that's really made it stand out for people who still have the flexibility to locate where they want to be. And even for people who maybe don't have a remote work option, the unemployment rate in the St. Louis market was 2.8% for the period that we studied. So really standout local jobs market alongside some really, really great affordability conditions. And I think that has made St. Louis an attractive market for both the overall market, but then also for luxury buyers. Right. So um, the index, we cover the luxury cup, but then there's also this overall index, which is the main one, and that covers like 300 plus metros. What were some of the top cities in the overall rankings, Danielle, uh, from the first quarter? In the overall ranking, so St. Louis didn't top the list there, but the, it was all Midwestern towns. So Lafayette, West Lafayette, Indiana, Bloomington, Illinois, and Elkhart, Goshen, Indiana were the top one, two, and three areas. So definitely a trend towards affordability, especially in uh, markets that also have strong local economies. So Danielle mentioned that, you know, in terms of amenities, you get a lot for your money in St. Louis. So Janet, so to the luxury buyer, what does a million dollars get you exactly? What does that home look like? It gets you 30% more than other places. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat kidding, but, um, you know, our, uh, we, our home prices on average are 30% less than uh, uh, than the national average. So people come to St. Louis and are delighted with how far their dollar goes. And it's the quality of the home, you know, the property. Um, so a million dollars can buy you a beautiful, uh, stately um, home, uh, which has been uh, somewhat restored. It can buy you a, uh, you know, a, a one and a half story ranch on an acre of property in a more suburban area. It could buy you a townhome, more of an urban style townhome, 
or a luxury condominium. So um, I people who move here from out of town are just giddy <laughs> with what they what they're able to purchase. Uh, who are the buyers driving sales right now? Are these mostly locals buying primary residences in this million dollar market plus? Well, we have, so that's such a great question, Becky. So every week we go through our sales and we ask um, the agents, who are the buyers? Where are they coming from? And what we find a lot is uh, doctors. A lot of, a lot of our transferees are doctors and it's because of the medical centers in um, St. Louis. Barnes Hospital, Barnes Jewish Hospital, which is affiliated with Washington University, is the largest employer in mm-hmm. St. Louis. And so they're always attracting um, the other medical centers, St. Louis University. So there's it also we have a concentration of universities in St. Louis. And so um, they're attracting, you know, fellows and residents. And so doctors are a category. Um this is people move home. <laughs> people move back to St. Louis. I mean, I did that. My brother did that. Um, and we live in major metropolitan areas. And then when we get to an age, we long for that easy lifestyle and the great schools that we want to raise our children going to. So we move back to St. Louis. So we get a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, they're, they're moving back home. And then um, thankfully, I mean, Danielle, maybe you can speak to this, but corporate transferees, um, that's picking up a little, thankfully, COVID kind of shut things down. Um, And so we have a lot of uh, major corporations. At one time, we were a leader in, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Now, many of those have been purchased, Ralston Purina by Nestle, but the big divisions are still here. Um, Centene. Express Scripts, which, you know, has been purchased, but has a huge um, headquarters, uh, St. Louis headquarters. So uh, Enterprise, which is a local privately held company and does tremendous support um, of all St. Louis. uh, They uh, sporting, they've just brought a a soccer team, which we're so excited about, St. Louis City, uh, to St. Louis, um, the Taylor family. So um, the companies, um, there's also like a couple innovation districts. Mm-hmm. We have, yeah, Cortex has um, is a you know think tank for um, an incubator. Um, the Danforth Plant Science Center, which has uh, was started by um, a collaboration of our Missouri Botanical Garden, one of the leading research um, uh, botanical gardens in the world, and Bayer. Um, uh, who was his, his purchased Monsanto, mm-hmm. and um, they formed this um, incubator type uh, 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 organization to really promote um, plant science to feed the world, to um, make uh, the world's health and life better through plants. So scientists from all over the world are coming to work there. And then St. Louis has the new um, geospatial center. So there's a huge demand for tech jobs and right. scientists in St. Louis. 
That's interesting. So it sounds like you would be getting a lot of transplants from the coasts. Is that sort of what you're finding or is it from everywhere? We're getting them from everywhere. We do get them from the coast and we also get them from, um, you know, uh, Texas, Indiana. Um, so pretty much everywhere. Um, Danielle, from a wider perspective, you know, and this is my bias and it's probably completely wrong, but I don't necessarily think of people picking up and moving to places like Lafayette, Indiana or Bloomington, Illinois or St. Louis. Um, but uh, that might be completely wrong. Is the strength in these Midwestern cities uh, partially uh, a migration story at all? Yeah, I think so. It, and it depends. Every market is a little bit different how much their home shopping demand is driven by outside traffic or relocation. Um, but it's interesting. So you talk about not really knowing people picking up and moving to St. Louis. New York City is actually the number two contributor of traffic on realtor.com to St. Louis. So um, it's not huge. Um, the big contributor is from Chicago. So a lot of Chicagoans are mm -hmm. interested in St. Louis. Um, and, and I think that is an affordability story plus a proximity story. Um, you think about, you know, the biggest major metro or, you know, top five metro close to St. Louis, it's the Chicago area. And so I think that's driving a lot of that. But New York's number two, and then you've also got Dallas, Fort Worth, San Francisco, um, and then some other more local metro areas like Kansas City and Springfield and Indianapolis. So um, people are coming from all over the country uh, to look at these areas, but particularly from major metros where uh, moving to an area like St. Louis, you get a lot for your money um, and can really kind of have your cake and eat it too when it comes to the quality of the housing that you get and the quality of the amenities nearby. So the rankings, they include more than just housing data metrics. There's also a fair bit of economic data, standard of living metrics around wages, commute time, employment, et cetera. So besides affordability, what do these smaller cities at the top of the rankings have going for them, Danielle? Yeah, so I talked about the strong uh, jobs market in these areas. Unemployment rate is low across the country, um, but especially in these markets. And so uh, people are looking for job security in an environment where you know, costs keep going up. It's not just about the affordability, but being able to count on the income that you have coming in. And then because housing costs are relatively low in these areas, people have you know, money left over in their paycheck um, to pay for quality of life things. So uh, the amenity stores and the small businesses that we look at as part of this index also do pretty well in these areas. You, you've got people with income left over to spend money at these retailers. And so the businesses thrive alongside the households in these markets. That's actually interesting. We talked about the strong jobs market in St. Louis, Janet, but um, is there like a cute downtown? Uh, tell us, are there are there the shops, the retail that that you know people really like that sort of walkability sort of thing? So um, the the St. Louis has some features that older cities have. So mm -hmm. we have cute little areas like you would you know find uh, different like ethnic districts in Boston and Chicago. And, yeah. and we have, um, we have the same around the brewery, Anheuser-Busch, um, Soulard, there's an area that's beautiful, cobblestone streets, townhomes, and all of those were some of the immigrants that came into work at the brewery when Anheuser-Busch was founded. We have an Italian area, it's called the Hill. It's actually a hill, so it's hilly. And there's a uh, little Italian grocery stores on, you know, in the street corners and um, small matchbox size homes and 
fabulous Italian restaurants. Um, the area that our uh, office is in, is in Ladue, and it is um, an early uh, suburb. It was people took a stagecoach out to Ladue to the countryside and um, rode their horses. But now it's it's a kind of a small town feel. It's a strip, you know, just a couple. Uh, streets of little shops, you know, two-story um, buildings, no big high-rises. Um, so there are little pockets around St. Louis that are, you know, that kind of remind you of maybe what a bigger, older city would uh, look like. Um, and we've been talking of, you know, how great the market is, um, but I assume that you, or the market in, in St. Louis is facing many of the problems that that are that the rest of the housing market in the country is facing. So what would you say is the biggest challenge? Oh my gosh, you probably are sick of hearing this. Inventory, <laughs> inventory. It is, we, for every home we sell, we have five people who didn't get it. And so we love getting our listings because they sell quickly, but it's so hard because you know, if you have six offers on one home, there's five people who are disappointed. And so it's discouraging. Um, we just, the demand is exceeding the um, supply. So inventory, inventory, inventory. And I think that's going to take, that's going to last us at least through the end of the year. It's going to take a while to work through that. Do you find sellers are, are because they are worried about taking on a new rate or a higher interest rate? What exactly is sort of dissuading sellers from just going for it? You know, it's because they don't know where to go. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. It's because the upside of the, uh, you know, the, the trade up buyer yeah. can't find a home or they found one, but they missed out to, you know, because they were in multiple offer um, competition. So they would move. We have downsizers who want to move, but they can't find a home because they're not. Um, it's the inventory is clogging up the system. Right. Not like, you know, how it's used to work. You get the first time home buyer in there and then they do the trade up and then, you know, they maybe do another one. And then finally they do a downsize. But because there's not enough homes on the market, it's it's, you know, a, we're clogged. Right. No one can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Danielle, there are there other luxury luxury cities or are cities with strong luxury markets that have risen to the top of our rankings and remained at the top uh, because of affordability? Yeah, I think if you look at um, areas like Dallas, Fort Worth, it was ranked number five on the market. You've also got Hilton Head Island um, in South Carolina which is, you know, beachside luxury the, for a much better price than you'll find in some other beach, beachside luxury markets. Yeah. Um, Boulder, Colorado, uh, still kind of pricey, still in that mountain, uh, mountain west range. Um, and then, but areas like Salt Lake City, another mountain range uh, ski area where you can get a, a good deal for your money. And um, uh, Nashville, Nashville is another up and coming market that um you know enjoys the benefit of no income tax in tennessee so right. yeah yeah lots of affordable markets on that list um the one outlier which we talked about before danielle is san jose silicon valley which just kind of appears to make no sense because uh all we hear about are layoffs and obviously svb and everything so is do you have you do you have any thoughts about why that market appears to still be thriving or are there maybe other markets that have been affected that aren't Silicon Valley? 
Yeah, it's an interesting case. So Silicon Valley, San Jose area is close to San Francisco and you sort of have this interesting interplay between the two um, of the two markets. You know, they're two separate metro areas, right. but of the two, San Francisco is the more dense urban area. Uh, San Jose is the more suburban, uh, almost sort of second city-like um, area relative to San Francisco. So we have seen more of an impact so far in San Francisco, but a lot of San Francisco residents who are maybe looking for affordability are looking at that San Jose area. And then on top of that, even though the tech industry has had some, some layoffs and some pressure, um, employment is still very high. So unemployment is still very low in these markets. And we're also seeing a lot of companies think about return to work policies. And so that's kind of boosting demand for workers who might have spread out during the pandemic. Uh, they're trying to relocate so they don't have really long commutes, even if they're only coming in a handful of times. Um, they're trying to get back to in proximity to uh, the job centers. And so I think that's sort of offsetting some of what might otherwise be weakness because of what's going on in the tech industry. Does that mean that actually some of these cities that that saw this, this influx of tech workers during the pandemic might feel the loss, you know, more as people move back to that epicenter? You know, for example, is is that the story in Austin at all, or or maybe you know Salt Lake City or something like that? I think the story in Austin is a little bit different because a lot of um, companies have headquarters there, so I think that's a different story. It's not just the workers that were moving to Austin, but the companies were setting up shop there as well. Um, but I think the way it's playing out in a market like Boise, for instance, or Las Vegas, I think that's an you know those are two markets where workers went to. Uh, during the pandemic and we are seeing prices soften in those markets uh, because the companies aren't there so as we move to this post-pandemic normal where people are showing up in the office more often those markets without offices um, are, are seeing a little bit of a pullback in demand that's really interesting i feel like that's something to keep an eye on for us as journalists <laughs> um so janet what's your outlook for um st louis uh for the housing market there if uh, if you were a potential buyer now would you say maybe wait or go for it what would you think? i say stay in the game you know we're a really stable market and danielle can probably speak to this looking at just long-term statistics we're very stable we don't have the highs and lows of the coasts or like you were talking about San Francisco, San Jose. So we don't have the those spikes. We have a steady home price appreciation. And, you know, I don't see home prices going down to a significant degree that it's going to be, you know, better to wait. Right. I really don't. I think, you know, it's a low risk investment. It's a stable investment. Um, I know it's tough because you're competing in this market, but um, stay in the game. I think you're not going to go wrong. Buy as soon as you can. Just keep keep working on it. So we have some questions from the audience for you, Janet, about about St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis. And um, so uh, this one. Um, you know, what can the industry, I assume Wayne, who asked the question, is also in the real estate industry. What can our industry do collectively to 
positively impact St. Louis's political leadership or let's say policies of uh, policymaking to capitalize on these uh, powerful first quarter rankings. So I guess, so, so what policy changes could really keep this movement? Is there anything that you can think of? Well, I, I can, I usually stay away from talking about politics that only gets me in trouble, but I have to say, I am so passionate about our city and I'm a regionalist. We have a very unique governmental um, uh, structure in St. Louis. The city itself, which is a very small geography, and it, the city proper only has 275,000 residents in it, whereas the county is a much larger area. It's, you know, it, it's 10 times that size, and um, they're two separate governmental bodies. And I think that hurts us because when your people are looking at statistics, they're basing it only on that very small city um, population, and we don't we don't rank well because it's all a, such a small population. So my political be belief is, and I hope I don't get in trouble, is to regionalize like so many um, successful metropolitan areas have done and combine both um, both uh, governmental uh, districts together. That's interesting. That's a, that's a very unique take. Um, and another question is, is there a part of town that newcomers or people locating in St. Louis are gravitating towards? So is there any kind of like boom pocket in St. Louis? Well, there are. If they, if the newcomer who um, is younger and um, can't, you know, is, is, is spending uh, maybe, you know, $200,000, $300,000, they can buy a beautiful home in some um, areas of the city um, uh, one in particular, uh, St. Louisans who are listening will know a Tower Grove area, um, South St. Louis. Beautiful homes, park-like setting, um, and much more affordable than uh, what we consider kind of the central corridor, which has had more price appreciation over the last hundred years. Right. <laughs> um and then to switch gears a little bit, Danielle, and sort of look at the big picture while we have you here, um, there was, I know that I've probably asked you this question many times with regard to sort of the housing bubble, are we in, is there going to be a crash at all? It feels like the question is not being asked anymore because we're in the thick of it. And, you know, can things get any worse? Like home sales have obviously slowed down considerably. Inventory, new listings was down considerably in April compared to a year ago, which had terrible inventory too. So can, can things get worse uh, in the U.S. housing market? What could make it worse? Um, you know, I, I tend to be an optimist. At the same time, I think, you know, things probably could get worse. That is not my most likely scenario. Um, the level of home sales right now is very, very low. Um, we did see a bit of an uptick in the most recent data, so February and March. But if you look at the fourth quarter of last year, say November, December, and even January of 2023, we we're looking at home sales of about 4 million, um, you know, an annual pace of 4 million. And so for comparison's sake, that's on par with some of the you know, worst 12 months of the housing crash in the mid 2000s. So it was a pretty slow moving housing market. Um, and we have seen a little step forward from there. I don't think we're going to see a quick return to the level of home sales that we saw during the pandemic. I think that that was 
um, you know, it, it made sense at the time, mortgage rates are very low, it created a lot of opportunity. Uh, we're not seeing the same amount of opportunity now for a lot of potential buyers and sellers. That doesn't mean there's no opportunity. And I, I think we're going to see the housing market kind of gradually climb up from here as both buyers and sellers kind of adjust to these higher mortgage rates. Um, even though a lot of sell or potential sellers, so current homeowners, have existing mortgages that are well below today's market rates, the longer they're in these homes, the more equity they build up, the more their life changes, and maybe their current home doesn't fit their current needs, we're going to see you know, that appetite for moving increase, even though it might mean giving up a low mortgage rate, you know, it might be the right thing to do. And the further away we get from those low mortgage rates and the more time you have for that tension to build up, I think the more we're going to see the housing market get back to a place where we're seeing transactions closer to the five to five and a half million pace. So it's not going to be quick, but I, I do think we'll see an adjustment there. Now on the price side of things, even though transactions are very low, we really haven't seen much action on prices. So sales prices have declined in the last month or two nationwide. Although if you look at the regional numbers, it's really being driven by home price declines out West. A lot of the other regions haven't seen price declines. And so that actually could worsen. And, and that's because prices adjust very, very slowly. Um, but I don't think we're gonna see a big decline like we saw in the mid 2000s. I think the reasons for this decline are very different. We don't have um, economic calamity that we had in the mid 2000s. You know, the unemployment rate is still very, very low, very, very healthy. And so I think that's going to you know, give the market time to gradually adjust without for forcing people into situations where they have to make snap decisions um, like we saw in the, the mid 2000s because they were under a lot of financial pressure and economic pressure. So as long as we don't see that this time around, which is not what I'm expecting, I think it's going to be different and a bit of a slower adjustment. Uh, just a last question for you, Danielle. So this week, um, the Fed raised rates by a quarter percentage point, um, but then indicated that this would be the last of it. Does that have a direct relationship at all on mortgage rates? And does it will it does it alleviate some uncertainty? Does it create some sort of stability at all? Or is this unrelated basically to what could happen? So potentially, um, you know, mortgage rates and longer term rates will come down before the Fed's rate starts to ease because markets will anticipate that the Fed, you know, conditions are right for the Fed to go ahead and eventually start cutting rates. I don't think we're there yet. The Fed opened the door to a pause, but it didn't close the door on further rate hikes. And today's jobs report was actually pretty strong. So I think, you know, it's far from settled at this point. We've got six more weeks before the next meeting, at least two inflation reports and another jobs report. So you know, there's a lot of data still to come in. And the one thing that the Fed really did make clear is that it's going to be data dependent. And hopefully, you know, the data will paint a picture that makes a decision pretty easy. But more likely, it's, it's going to be a little bit messy, and a little bit unclear. You know, if you want to make the case for pausing, there was some evidence in the jobs report for that because we had some downward revisions the last couple months. But, you know, this month's job gains are pretty strong and the unemployment rate is back down to the lowest level that it's been since 1969. So, if you want to make the case that we need more hikes, that's in there too. So I think there's going to be some a little bit more uncertainty that plays out. Um, but but I, I think we're not far from the end. And I think you're going to start to see that in mortgage rates that will gradually go down, especially as the case gets more certain um, for the fact that we've really got inflation back toward the track that we need it to be back towards that 2%. 
Well, we are out of time. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Danielle and Janet. Um, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. Thank you. Um, so please, everyone, please join us again on Monday when Barron Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levison with Andrew Slimmon, Managing Editor at Morgan Stanley Investment Management uh, on the outlook for our financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.